Welcome to audio from Ballyhalbert Gospel Hall. Listen in as we open God's Word and share how it should impact our lives. We hope it blesses you. As I was listening to Tom and as we're singing a meeting like this, how long do you think we'll have this freedom? No, seriously. The culture we live in is very antagonistic to the things we believe in. Increasingly so. And uh, I, I think there'll be a time when, not very far away, possibly, we'll look back on days like this as blessed days that we could stand and preach the gospel and talk about Jesus Christ and, and the Word of God and, and freedom like this. And so we treasure these times when we can come together and open God's Word and, and ask God to guide us and speak to us. And so we're going to ask um, his blessing as we just turn to John chapter 11. I think Daniel did I... Oh, here it is, right? Here we go. That's great. John chapter 11 and just a little reading here. And uh, And we're going to come in uh, around verse 21 or so. And the question I sort of want to think about even before we, we read this, you know, it's that question I've, I've put up there. Does it, does it always matter what you believe? And I, I know you're in a Christian church, and so we, we do say it does matter what you believe. But I just want to think about that. Uh, sometimes we, we sort of put out words and, and maybe don't just sort of um, contemplate what we mean and, and think about what we're what we're asking or, or what we're believing. And so I just want to ask that question. Does, does it really always matter what you believe? Does it really matter what you believe? So we're just going to read a little bit of this, first of all. Um, um, so coming in at verse, it's the story where, where Jesus and his disciples have come and their friend and Jesus' friend, Lazarus, has actually died. Not only has he de- died, he's dead. And not only is he dead, he's buried. And in a tomb, really, he's dead. And, um, of course, his sisters, Mary and Martha, are grief, overtaken with grief, grief-stricken. And then Jesus comes. And Martha runs out. And, and, and Jesus meets Martha and it's just this dialogue that happens between Martha and Jesus. Um, Martha, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now you can read that different ways. But I think it's almost like Martha is almost accusing Jesus. You know, if you had been here, if you had taken the time to be here, my brother would not have died. But then she holds on to this bit of hope. She said, she says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
And of course, there was the understanding of the resurrection in the last days when the books would be open. Martha answered, I, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. No, she's thinking, yes, well, I know that. That's what we believe in our religion. That's what we're, we're taught by the prophets, that there is a hope of heaven eventually. But he's dead now is the point. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Now, this is, there's a whole lot in this that we're, not, we're just going to skim over, really. But coming back to the, our start question, there are lots of things it doesn't really matter what we believe. There's lots of things that are fairly trivial in, in our life. Lots of things. I mean, you might say to me, well, what font is that I even is used in the presentation? Well, it doesn't really matter, does it? It could be Times New Roman or Courier or Dauphin or something. It actually happens to be ink-free for those who are interested in such little things. But, you know, you might, that's not an important thing. Who cares what the font is? It's just words, right? There's other things that... Um, don't really matter so much whether or not I were a tie to work or a church or what do we say? It's only, it's only embellishment I could do for a bit of it right enough. But anyway, you know, it's not important. It's just not, it's trivial. It doesn't really matter. If my socks match, does it matter? I mean, really? If I came out with a grey and a black sock, really, does it really matter? There are things that are so trivial, they just don't matter. What? We used to get custard in school and it was uh, strawberry colored, you know? And uh, it just tasted like custard. Does it really matter what color your custard is? I mean, there's just things that, that don't matter. And then there's some things that are, well, they're, they're, they're personal choices. You know, you, you think that matter to you. What restaurant you like best? Things like what model of car you have. Things like, uh, what your opinion of Boris Johnson or Keir Starmer or anybody who is influential in the world, what you think about them, well, those might be personal, of your personal interest, but really does it matter? Well, actually, no, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter. I don't think Boris is going to be too fussed what the people in Banner Gospel Hall think about Boris. I really don't think he does mind too, too much. So some of the things that, that we believe about people, about things, about circumstances, and some of our personal choices, they don't really matter. Another thing I was thinking about belief was this, that evidence doesn't always elicit or bring about belief. Now, I am very interested, I was in apologetics, and uh, no one ever comes around to Easter time, we look at the resurrection story, and, and we know those writers who have, who have come to faith 
who started out, maybe, I, I, there's a couple of authors that I can think of, who started out writing a book to debunk the, histor the historical narrative of the resurrection. And by the time of the end of the book, they were believers. Because as they looked at the evidences, the historical facts, they realized that the only thing that really made sense was if Jesus truly rose from the dead. And I love evidences like that. I like apologetics. I enjoy listening to people like or reading John Lennox or C.S. Lewis. I really enjoy where people put forward reasonable evidences for what we believe. We don't believe that the world sits on a turtle with four columns holding it up in space. We don't believe foolish things. What we, in fact, even whenever John was writing, he would say, look, we're writing these things. We saw them with our eyes. We touched him. We felt him. We, we were in his presence and we're writing these things so that you people, years from now even, not being here, will believe. So there is a, a place for evidence and fact-giving that, that strengthens belief. But I don't actually think that evidence itself always elicits belief. Now, what do I mean by that? Let me just maybe explain that. There's a society called the Flat Earth Society. Yeah, you've maybe seen documentaries about them. I know some of you here uh, know folk who are in that view, view of thinking that the Earth is not around at all, that it's entirely flat. I watched a very interesting documentary a lot of months ago, and it was up that followed the Flat Earth Society around the world. They have really big meetings. They're big in America, and believe it or not, they're getting very big in the United Kingdom. People who just do not believe that the world is a sphere, that it's not possible, you'd fall off if you went to Australia. And um, they have a lot of models and how they purport to what they believe. And so at the end of this documentary, um, some of the Flat Earth people decided to have an experiment to prove to us foolish people who maybe uh, believe that the world is maybe not flat, that they could prove that it actually was flat. And so they went out to a very flat part of America. It was a bit of a, a dried up seabed and it ran across several miles to the other side. It was completely flat. And at one end, they placed a, a tall, something like a door, but maybe about twice that height. It's about five meters up. And they put a hole in it. And about three or four miles away, they put another door, as you can see in that little illustration I have there. And then they fired a laser through the two holes, about three or four miles apart. And their theory was to prove that the earth was flat was that, okay, let's measure the distance between A, make sure that the distance on A there is exactly the same as B, so that the laser starts out at the same height as the hole three or four miles away. And if you fire this laser through A, and it goes all the way through B, then the height should be consistent the whole way along. If the Earth's flat, and this was going to prove to the documentary cinematographers, look, there you are, that just shows the nonsense of around Earth. What actually happened was that whenever they did the experiment, of course, the Earth is spherical, it is round, and so when they fired the laser through the two holes, of course, because the Earth is slightly rising and falling, then the center point was considerably lower than the three meters high hole, something like two meters something, which could only prove that the Earth was in fact in a spherical shape. And it was quite interesting. At the end of the documentary, they, they looked at their laser, they looked at the, how they set the whole experiment up, 
and they came to a general consensus, there's something wrong with our experiment. <laughs> we need to try this again. And that's where the documentary left off. You see, what I'm, what, why I sort of show you that sort of humorous example, but interesting example is this, that it's not always empirical evidence that elicits belief. These people were given factual, reasonable, indisputable, irrefutable evidence that there was a rise in a spherical shape to the ground they were on, and yet they wouldn't accept the facts. It didn't bring about belief. You know, a similar thing happened in the Bible, actually. Jesus told a story about a man, a rich man, who died, and a poor man who died. And the rich man ended up in hell. And he called across to Father Abraham in the story. He says, listen, please tell my brothers and my family, like, the way I, would, I lived is completely wrong, or they'll end up here far from God. And Abraham said, well, you have the prophets, they've got their Bibles, they can read that, they can look at nature, they can think about the human heart, they can do all those things, those evidences that are in the world that you live in. There are plenty of them. Your brothers can look at that and make their own decisions. Nobody's, he said, no, but they'll not do that. But, but if, if someone came back from the dead and told him, and Jesus said, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Now that's interesting. As a young boy, I often thought, as a young Christian, maybe 16, 17, 18, that would be a brilliant way to convince my friends to become Christians. If I could just get God to do a big sign in the sky or something, and I'd say, look, at nine o'clock in the morning, I had a prayer meeting last night with God, and he's agreed to put a big sign, I am God and I exist, in blue flaming letters in the sky. And we'll all turn up at nine o'clock in Grey Abbey and we'll look at that, and there you are, you'll have to become a Christian because there's the evidence. But Jesus said, that's not the way people come to faith. Even if someone were to die and then come to life again, that wouldn't convince or bring people to believing faith. So it's an interesting thing. You see, belief at its most critical, where it really matters, usually involves some aspect of faith. But where it really matters, belief that is most critical, often involves some aspect of faith. Now, I'll tell you a quick example that we're currently in this COVID thing. I was reading the Daily Telegraph last week and reading a family of three people in one family who were, didn't believe in COVID and have all, each one of them lost their lives. We know of people ourselves who don't believe in COVID and ended up very seriously ill in hospital. People who didn't believe that, thought that there was conspiracy, that the vaccine was out to make us all into zombies or something. I read about uh, a man called Gary Matthews in Shropshire, a very fit young man, 
a COVID denier, had a website all about it, and he's dead. He died in January of COVID. The president of Tanzania, who was a very strong advocate for the conspiracy idea of COVID being run by the Americans and didn't exist, exactly the same age as me, only a few weeks different, the president of Tanzania died of COVID just a few months ago. So it seems to be, and I'm just using that as an example, if you think of lots of things, but what, what I'm saying is this, that, there, that he could either choose to believe that the vaccine was right or wrong, he, he could choose not to believe in it and actually go on all right. But it would be very, very critical if it came that he came into contact with COVID, whether he had believed enough to accept the cure or at least the vaccine. You see, faith really, when it comes to it, and although I enjoy apologetics and I love to sit down and to discuss with folk about the reality of our faith, yet, 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 when it boils down to it, being right with God, though we're given evidences, ultimately comes down to a response of love. It's a decision that you make. It's a decision that you arrive at and a faith that you elect to decide to make. Philip Yancey, uh, an author I, I quite like, um, he, he wrote something. He had been visiting a man who had fought in the French resistance and had seen brutal things that would have persuaded you in concentration camps and so on, that where was God? And then he saw other evidences of beautiful faith and, and God at work in the hearts of other people. And he weighed up those things. I was talking to a man not very long ago, struggling with faith and on the side of not faith. And he said to me, look, I just intellectually can't square the circle. He'd been listening to different things and different arguments, and for him, he couldn't accept Christian faith because intellectually, it just didn't fit where he was. And yet he said to me, and don't get me wrong, he says, I know people far more intellectual than me and who, on the basis of evidences, are believers, but they've just decided to believe and I've decided not to. And what he was more or less saying to me is, you know, you can look for the evidences, but you might find them balancing out. And even if you find them balancing in the evidence of faith, that itself will not bring you to faith in Jesus Christ. It's something else. And Philip Yancey wrote this talking to the, the French resistance worker who had now turned to faith in Christ. And after talking to him and several others, he said, I believe, I believe that God restrains himself for one reason. What he was saying is that why doesn't God just come in in power, in might, with angels destroying all around him? And like the Crusades and those who forced the Aztecs into some kind of Christendom to come in and with force and with might and with, with the might of sword and, and weapon, why doesn't he just come in and, 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 and just take over this world or just finish the problem and, and force us into submission? I believe God restrains himself for one reason. He knows the inherent limitation of any form of power. It can do anything. Everything but the most important thing 
It cannot force love. In a concentration camp, as so many have borne poignant witness, guards have ultimate power and can force anything. They can make you um, I think I have that written wrong. They can make you renounce your God, curse your family, work without pay, eat human excrement, kill and then bury your closest friend or even your own son. All of this is within their power. Only one thing is not love. They cannot force you to love them. You see, ultimately, God calls us not through power or simple evidence, but he makes himself vulnerable through love. You see, if you think of the disciples, when were they at their most shaky? Actually, it was when the greatest evidence was in their very presence. When Jesus walked with them. And it was those times they stumbled and didn't know what Jesus meant. And what, what are you really, is this? And they were at times confused rabble of, of men. And yet, after he had resurrected from the dead, those men, each one of them, stood firm for Jesus Christ right to their own martyrdom and deaths. So firm was their faith in the one they could no longer see, yet they had given their hearts to through faith and love. You see, God doesn't come and barge his way into our lives. As we've said before, God is the ultimate gentleman. Jesus stands at the door and he knocks that door. There's no big feet kicking down the door. There's no ram wrecking the hinges. When God comes to us, he said, look, I've given you evidence enough, really. And you'll find plenty of evidences if you look for opposing views, but I'm not trying to win you through force of arms. I want them to win you through force of love. I love you. I love you. Now, there's lots of questions I have. Lots of questions you will have and spend a lifetime considering. And in many cases, finding answers to, and some not. But it comes down to this. Are you prepared to put your faith in the one who gave his life for you? Are you prepared to believe that he is who all those disciples ultimately believed he was and gave their lives because of? Are you prepared to believe God when he makes himself so vulnerable as to be one of us? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And he turns to Martha. I suppose I could say he turns to each one of us. And those of you too who are online, thank you for watching. But I suppose he turns to each one of us and he says, to us, to your heart and to mine, do you believe this? Because your answer to that question, as Tom was pointing out to, 
You know, I am a sinner. But Jesus Christ is my Savior. And I believe that. As a young boy in camp, we used to love singing a song, and, and I sort of hold it as a heart song. Sometimes it's in difficult times when things are rough, and other times it's out of joy. I have decided. to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you when we look at this world you've created, the beauty of it, the seas that come in and out, the animals and the creatures, the skies, the sunsets, the wonder and the awe of an evening filled with the blackness of striking, sparkling stars. When our hearts burst within our chest to understand the cosmos and the tininess of a flower. Lord, when we see a baby born and the miracle of life and when we're told that we're loved by a wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, mother, father, brother, sister. And Father, you've given us the evidences that this is your world and you've come into it in the form of your only son, vulnerable and alone, making yourself free for us to decide what we would do with you and submitting when that became crucifixion on a cross. So that we can be free to decide for salvation and hope and future that has meaning and purpose and forgiveness and peace in Jesus. Well, I just pray for everyone here tonight, for their families and for those perhaps watching online, that Lord, we will believe and we will decide, I do believe this. Amen.